turn to Shalom again. <coughs> Here, as we mentioned to you last time, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing primarily the Mashrikeen of Makkah Makarama, people who are either polytheists or people who are atheists. And many of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention here could also be of relevance to the different types of atheists today. So we are on verse number 141. الشيطان <laughs> Here Allah Spanta is continuing to mention different of his signs of his creation, trying to make these people who were again very well connected to the natural world around them, not just in terms of livestock and animal, but also in terms of vegetable and fruit, to reflect on the creation of Allah Spanta and how he created it. So here Allah Spanta is saying, Wahua, and indeed Allah Spanta, Allah is that very being. Ansha'a Jannatin, who is created and originated and caused to come into existence, gardens, ma'rushat. So the fancy English word for this is trellised. Trellis means a support that there are certain things that in order to grow, such as grape vines, and you may see if you go in agriculture, that they need some type of support to be able to grow. Wagheru ma'rushat, and so the fancy English word untrellised means those things that don't need any support in order to grow. Actually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is simply saying here that He has made things grow in many, many different ways, in whatever fashion. And this is also a sign for us that there are some human beings who will be able to grow towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are like ma'rushat, they cannot even go any, make a step towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unless they have that trellis. The second type of human being, they still need help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will still need the sunshine, those types of plants still need the sunshine and the rain. But they perhaps may not need such support. They can be what you call the leaders of humanity. These may be the Nabeen, these may be the Siddiqeen, these may be the Fuqaha, Mujtahideen, who didn't need anybody else's ijtihad, themselves made ijtihad. These can be the Muhaddithin, who themselves came up with categories of hadith and need not need to depend on others. So these are signs. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put many, many signs in the animal and vegetable world for a person to reflect on humanity. I remember our own sheikh once gave a talk on the whole human body and how the hair that you have is like the grass on the earth and oh, so many things like that. Right? So this is a sign. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made date palms. And then Allah Ta'ala has made the sowing of such harvest and crops, such edibles that are various differences. Ukuluhu, the sowing of various kinds and varieties of edibles. What this here Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala means that from the same ground 
from the same earth, from the same soil, with the same simple rainwater, Allah subhanahu has produced an extremely wide variety of vegetables and fruits and crops and harvest and grains of different colors, of different shapes, of different sizes, of different tastes, of different benefits, of different effects on human being, different herbs, all types of things. So all of that is also a wondrous creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That from the same soil and from the same water, so many different types of edibles have come out. Mukhtalifan ukuluhu. Was Zaytuna and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning particular things. Now these are things that on the one hand obviously had a very special status amongst the Arabs that they felt had a special power. But even today olives are considered a delicacy and having extreme amount of uh, energy and calories and but Romana, pomegranate. Then another thing now Allah subhanahu wa mentions those two just by example of all of the incredible wide variety of edible things Allah subhanahu wa calls to sow in and grow in the ground. Mutashabihum wa ghayr mutashabih. And the second thing that a person, another thing that a person should reflect on is that sometimes they come out very similar. And sometimes as you these days are getting your piti, pitu, Peti of am to put in your petu, right? Huh? So these crates of am that they have different, right? Different varieties, different even from the same tree, from the same plant. They may be different in size, different in sweetness. And sometimes you can find two that are exactly the same. And you can see that with an am. Sometimes you cut two mangoes and they seem exactly the same. And sometimes they're slightly different. And those of you who love yourself more than the other person try to eat the better slices. And the few of us who love the other better than us, we try to put the better slices in front of them. Right? So, mutashabihum wa ghayra mutashabih. All of these are signs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kulu min thamarihi. And you should eat from all of the fruits, idha athmara, when they bear fruit, i.e. when they are ripened. It can also mean that you should eat from all of those plants that bear fruit, when they bear fruit. وَآتُوا حَقَّهُ يَوْمَ حَسَادِهِ Literally means that you should pay their haq, what is due on them, يَوْمَ حَسَادِهِ on the day of harvest. What is this haq? This haq can refer to two things. Number one, that it refers to usher. Usher is the land tithe. Usher is a particular tax, like zakat is to be paid on cash and gold and silver and animals. Usher is that Charity that Allah subhanahu has mandated should be paid on all of those things that are the produce of this earth, be they grain or vegetable or fruit. It can also mean that because in the sense that that is the meaning that it means now, but in the sense that this eye was originally revealed when we told you this whole surah was revealed almost in entirety in Makkah So that is actually before the commandment and injunction to pay ushra was revealed, so then it can just refer to a charity, and it's suggesting that even before Allah Ta'ala mandated the ushra, this ayah in the Qur'an al-Karim was telling the sahabah karam that they must give some charity, which is the haq. So the lesson in here that is that whatever thing Allah Subhanahu bestows upon us, yawma hasadihi, on that day of that harvest, we should give it to you, give some charity. So the day you get the annual bonus is the day you will more openly give the charity, generally give the charity as a matter of shukr. And this also could be related to what I mentioned to you before, some of your Pakistani practices of treat lena and treat dena on the very day that the result is announced, yawma hasadihi. But do not and do not be wasteful. Do not be wasteful in your eating, right? 
إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُسْرِفِينَ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the people of Israf, the people who are wasteful in His bounties and blessings. So it means here, first of all, pertaining to edibles, and it means what most good parents train their children, that they should wipe their plate, they should eat the food, they shouldn't waste the food. But still we find a lot of people, and especially the more people have, the more they are, the more they tend to wait. The sunnah ruling is that if what is left on your plate is three morsels or less, three lukmas or less, then you should wipe the plate clean, even if you feel that you're, you are content and you are done eating. And if there's more than three morsels, then you should save it, and all of you, mashallah, are fridge wallet. You know that at least half of your country doesn't even have fridges, right? So you have containers and Tupperware, so you should store that food and eat it later, or give it away, but it should not be wasted in any way, right? It can also mean generally, la tusrifu, that generally speaking, do not be wasteful, do not be extravagant in your spending. If a hundred dollar watch can do the job, no need to buy the ten thousand dollar watch. That is also a type of israf. If the hundred dollar bag can do the job, no need to buy the one thousand dollar bag. That is also a type of israf. Yes, if poverty is eliminated and people are removed from all of their duress and hardship and the world is full of money, then you can buy the $1,000 bag. No problem. Right? Okay. Next, Allah SWT is mentioning, وَمِنَ الْأَنْعَامِ So all of this actually is going to be related to وَهُوَ الَّذِي أَنْشَأَ That Allah SWT is that being who created. And Allah SWT is also that being who created مِنَ الْأَنْعَامِ from livestock and animals. Hamulatan, those animals that are beasts of burden, that can take some load on their back. Wafarshan, literally it means the animals that lie on the ground, but what it means is farshan and animals for you to slaughter. So there are two types of animals Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made. One are those very large animals, right? And normally their meat is very thick and very hard, so we don't like to eat their meat. And one is the smaller animals, like goat and sheep, right? And they're not, they can take a light burden, but they're not used for massive transport, right? And their meat is softer. Another reason the ulama have said that farshan is being mentioned here is that their skins can be used as a spread, either as a carpet or as a musalla. In fact, it's a sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah, that he actually used an animal skin as a janamas. And that's why we've seen some of the Mashaykh and ulama who are ashik of the sunnah, they have an animal skin and they use that as their own personal musalla. Kulu mimma Allah. Then you should eat from all of those things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided you. Means that you should eat while being conscientious and aware that what I'm eating is something that Allah ta'ala has provided me, not something that I earned or purchased by means of my salary, but we should feel that we are marzuk and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is razik, that Allah ta'ala is the provider and we are the ones being provided for. And do not follow the footsteps of shaitan. Okay, now the immediate rupt here, what's the immediate connection? Why is shaitan coming up here? So first, that remember that shaitan, we did this earlier and it's just about to come in the next ayah. That shaitan had misled the idol worshippers and pagans of Makkah Makkah to think that certain types of animals, right, should be viewed as sacralized and consecrated to the idols or that you shouldn't slaughter them, you shouldn't eat from them. That's the first rupt. Second rupt is that generally in terms of eating, in terms of what is halal and haram, shaitan specifically tries to cause a lot of confusion. 
So eat from that which is halal and tayyib, and do not follow the footsteps of shaitan in his attempt to confound and confuse you as to what is halal and haram. So it suggests, and this is why I mentioned before, that in terms of what one eats, a person should have a lot of precaution. He said what one eats, what one earns, what one says, and tahara and salah. Five things should be something that a person should really... And there's no limit, actually. We keep thinking we could add hayal, really. Six things, perhaps. One could keep thinking, one could keep adding, right? But what one eats, what one earns, what one says, tahara, salah, hayal. These can be if you want. A new type of chain number for you. Right? <laughs> All right. إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ أَدُوهُمْ مُبِينَ And indeed know that shaitan lakum is four and two each and every single one of you. أَدُوهُمْ مُبِينَ An open enemy, a die-hard enemy, your eternal enemy, a lifelong enemy, committed enemy. Now here in the next ayat, which is now 143 onwards, is going to be a mention of another particular pagan practice that the Mushrikin and Makkah had, that they used to declare particular types of animals, sometimes when they were in the wombs of the mother animals, sometimes when they were born in pairs, to be haram randomly. Sometimes the male they would declare haram, sometimes the female they would declare haram, sometimes they would say whatever is inside the womb, whatever comes out, be it male, female, is haram. But the problem is that, number one, the problem is that viewed it to be haram. Second problem was that they attributed this to Allah SWT. They said that God has declared this to be prohibited. So, thamaniyata azwaj. You know that Allah SWT is that same being who has created those very same eight pairs about which you have this confounded belief that some of them are haram. Minal dhanithnaini, the two from the sheep. Wa minal ma'azithnaini, and two from the goats. Kul al zakaraini harrama amil unsayin, and ask them, say to them, the Bnibiyakimsalasmin, is it the two males or is it the two females that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has prohibited? Ammashtamalat alehi, or whatsoever lies and resides and is contained in the arhamul unsayini in the wombs of the two females. Nabbiuni, so tell them the Bnibiyakimsalasmin, Nabbiuni, inform me. To tell the Mushrikeen in Mecca, Fawzal go tell the Mushrikeen in Mecca, Nambi'uni, inform me, bi'ilmin, on the basis of some ilm, on the basis of some tos, tos on the basis of some knowledge that has some basis, and some evidence, and some proof, in kuntum sadiqeen, if indeed you are people who are speaking truly. And what does it mean that show me the ilm, on what basis are you saying that Allah subhanahu has prohibited these things? وَمِنَ الْإِبْلِ ثْنَيْنِ And two from the camels. وَمِنَ الْبَقَرِ ثْنَيْنِ Two from either the oxen or cattle. I explained in Surah Baqarah the different views of the Mufasreen on this word. Al-Baqar. قُلْ أَذَّكَرَيْنِ حَرَّمَا أَمِلْ أُنْثَيَيْنِ أَمَّا اشْتَمَلَتْ أَلَيْهِ أَرْحَامُ الْأُنْثَيَيْنِ Say to them again, same thing that because say to them that is it the two males that Allah Ta'ala has made forbidden, is or is it the two females that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala forbidden, or is it all that resides in the wombs of the two females that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has forbidden? Am kuntum shahada and indeed were you yourself present to witness when Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala supposedly enjoined and commanded these rulings upon you? 
فَمَنْ أَظْلَمُوا مِمَّنِ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا And who is there who is more unjust and more wrong and a greater transgressor than that person who fabricates and invents lies and attributes them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لِيُذِلَّ النَّاسِ So that they may lead the people astray بِغَيْرِ ilmin Without any basis in knowledge whatsoever. Now here this last part of this ayah. So who is more unjust? Then that person who invents lies, so this has also been understood by ulama to refer to something called tafsir bir ra'i. Tafsir bir ra'i means that to comment on the Quran on the basis of your mere personal opinion as opposed to on well based, well founded knowledge. Well founded knowledge means to command, comment on the Quran on the basis of other verses of Quran. To comment on the Qur'an on the basis of a hadith from the Sunnah of Nabi Akrim To comment on the Qur'an based on the commentaries and the, the narrations of commentary that we have from Sahaba, Tabin. To comment on the Qur'an on the basis of narrations that we have from Mufassirin, Muhaddisin, Fuqaha, Awliya, Siddiqeen. All of that is commentary on the basis of well-founded knowledge. And Tafsir bin Ra'i means that to come up with anything and attribute that meaning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to do that, بِغَيْرِ ilm without any formal knowledge, without any scholastic knowledge. And this is a problem. Unfortunately, we have people today who speak about the Qur'an on the basis of false knowledge. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to guide a community of unjust transgressors. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa is not going to guide a community of transgressors. What does that mean? That if people start doing that, they start attributing to Allah subhanahu wa things that He has not said, or they start ascribing meanings to Qur'an, which Allah subhanahu wa has not intended, and they form little groups to do that, and they form group circles to do that, and Allah subhanahu wa may make such a people mahroom and bereft of His hidayah. I remember in America, there were some people in New York who felt that because Christians have something called Bible study circle, so they started Quran study circle. And what did they do? They all opened up Quran. And literally, and there were men and women sitting together. And the person who was conducting the Quran study circle opened up and read a few lines in English and then went on and said, what do you think it means? And 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 everybody got a chance to say what they thought it meant. And then again, he read a few more lines. And then each and everyone felt, this is not the way deen of Islam teaches us to understand. If I walked in as a professor to a classroom and I read five lines of the textbook and I said, and what do you think it means? And what do you think it means? And what do you think it means? And then I wrote the next page of the book of economics. So you would say, this is not an economics professor. This is not the way economics is taught and instructed. This is a discredit to the textbook. This is a disservice to the field of economics. That's how you would speak. But for Quran and Karim, people think right, that anybody can say anything. And our own Sheikh once mentioned when he went to Germany that there was such a Quran study circle that he was invited to. So when they came to him, he says, I don't think you really want to hear what I think. Right? <laughs> and then they said, no, no, please. We want to hear what you have to say. You're our visitor, you're our guest. So then, mashallah, Sheikh then gave them a one hour. Jirki, you know, jirki. Like sometimes we give you ragra, sometimes it comes jirki. One hour he explained to them how this is an incorrect approach to understanding Quran. Right? Here, 
So general, and, and it also has a general meaning that indeed Allah SWT does not guide a community of unjust transgressors. Kul say to them, my beloved Messenger, that I do not find in all that which has been revealed to me from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muharraman, anything that is forbidden. That on any eater, any person who is eating when he eats, simply means on any eater, Except those things that are carrion, cadaver corpse, right? Or daman masfuha, blood that pours forth, or khinzirin, or pork. And we have discussed all of this in detail before. And indeed, this is an impurity and abomination. Oh, or Nabi Yakrim says, I also find what else has been made prohibited. O fiskan, or the sin and iniquity that takes place when a person eats, O hilla lighailallahi bihi, that which has been sacrificed for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And but that person who is compelled and out of necessity, not with the intention of rebelling against Allah subhanahu wa commands, and not transgressing or exceeding the limits that Allah Ta'ala has sent, then indeed your Rabb is all forgiving and all merciful. All of this has been explained earlier when it came. And on the Jews, Allah SWT is saying a ground that we have prohibited for them every single zhufr. Zhufr means number one, those animals that have claws. And number two, it also refers to animals who have uncloven hoofs. Uncloven hoofs means that the feet are not split, such as from the land animals, camels, and from the birds, ducks, who have those webbed feet. So actually camel and duck, the meat of the camel and the meat of the duck was also prohibited on the Jews. وَمِنَ al-bakari And from the oxen, or if you will, the cattle. وَالْغَنَمِ And the goats slash sheep. حَرَّمْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ شُهُومَهُمَا We have made prohibited unto them only and only what the fat of the two. So the charbi, lamb charbi, goat charbi, ox charbi, and cattle charbi, cow charbi was made haram on them. إِلَّا Except for that fat, مَا حَمَلَ ذُهُورُهُمَا Except that fat which is borne by the backs of the animals. So suggest maybe, and we don't know enough about butchery to understand this, but apparently there must be some type of fat that is on top or hangs on the back of the animal. Awil hawaya. Hawaya means their intestines or their entrails, if there is any fat that is found there. أو مختلطة بأذمن or any fat that is attached to or mixed up with bone. Guda was okay for them. Right? Any fat that was mixed up with bone. ذلك جزيناهم ببغيهم And this prohibition of the fat, right? And this will make the Patans and Uzbeks happy that they suggest that fat is a wonderful thing to have and be able to eat, right? ذلك جزيناهم And this is a recompense. Actually, we meted out this to them as... A recompense as a punishment him due to their iniquity, due to the rebellion, due to their transgression. So Allah Muftasir mentioned the different incidents here, different particular sins that they did, due to which Allah Subhanahu prohibited them the fat of these two categories of animals, except these particular types of fats. But inna 
And indeed, we are indeed truthful. Indeed, we are truthful. So Allah is using the royal, plural here, the royal we. Alright. And if they call you a liar, if they call you Nabiya Kareem Sassam a liar, فَقُلْ So say to them, رَبُّكُمْ ذُو رَحْمَةً Allahu Akbar. And you would think that if they call you a liar, you should say something to them. So simply say to them, what? Fakul say to them, Rabbukum your Rabb, Dhu Rahmatu Wasi'a, is a being of all-encompassing mercy. Of, who is all-merciful and whose mercy is all-encompassing. So again, this is another way that when you deal with an atheist, right? And they call you a liar in the sense that they say you invented these fables and stories and myths. This is the word they love to say. You've invented this myth that Allah SWT exists and there was a prophet and there's a revelation and there are angels. So we should also try to say to them, it can mean literally these words, but it also means that what are you supposed to invite them to? You're supposed to invite them to two things. Number one, that that Allah that you think is a myth, He is your Rabb. What does it mean? He is your nourisher, your sustainer. He's doing your rububiyyah. And second, you should call them to the fact that that Rabb is a being of mercy. You are denying an all-merciful being. That is what you are denying. And if you are denying Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, then you are denying that infinite mercy that every human being ultimately needs. Because if you deny the being of infinite mercy, then you are denying the existence of infinite mercy itself. That is how one should engage. وَلَا يُرَدُّ Oh, okay. However, notwithstanding the fact that Allah SWT is the being of infinite mercy and all-encompassing mercy, that will not avert the divine punishment, sometimes it transit the divine rigor, the sternness, the sternness of Allah SWT, the punishment of Allah SWT cannot be averted ever from a community that is known, the community that is truly guilty of sin. So when a person should feel again about themselves, Al-Qawm can even mean, Al-Islam can even mean one person. So that person who is guilty of sin, that person who is mujrim, notwithstanding the fact that Allah SWT is dhu rahmatin for that person who is guilty of sin and does not make tawbah from that sin, Allah Ta'ala's mercy, even His infinite all-encompassing mercy, will not avert the sternness or rigor or punishment of Allah SWT from coming on that person. Right? So both aspects are there. First, the mention of the mercy, so a person realizes and makes amends. But if they don't, the mention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his ba'as, his rigor, his punishment, his sternness can come. So, يَقُولُ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention a particular reaction, stubbornness of kufr and of atheists. That very soon you will see that those who associate and ascribe partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will they say? Quote, لَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ مَا أَشْرَكْنَا وَلَا أَبَاؤُنَا وَلَا حَرَّمْنَا مِنْ شَيْءٍ If it, it were Allah SWT to have willed, it means, in other words, if it was not for the will of Allah. But first I'll give the literal transition. Were Allah SWT to have willed it, then none of us would ever have ever ascribed any partners to Him. Nor would any of our forefathers ascribe any partners to Him. Nor would we have made forbidden any of these things, right? All those animals that they made taboo and they consecrated as idols, so we wouldn't have done any of that. So what they're suggesting is that all of this is because Allah Ta'ala has willed them to do so. So then how does Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala respond to this? 
Just like that, thus similarly, Kazaba gave lie to the truth, belittled the truth, falsified the truth. Alladina min kablahim did a whole group of people who came before them. They also said the same thing. They offered the same excuse. What does it mean? What they're trying to say is that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala existed, right, he would have not have made us do so. Or, well, I'll explain to you what they're trying to say. Let me finish this. Hatta And they kept saying this, kept saying this. The people who came before kept saying this until they tasted or they experienced. Though can also mean experience. Until they experienced ba'sana, again, our punishment or our stern vigor. Qul say to them, my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, hal indakum min ilmin? That do you have any knowledge with you? Is there any such knowledge that you have in your possession? فَتُخْرِجُوهُ lana. And if so, produce it for us. Bring that knowledge forth for us. إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا ذَن That they do not fall, indeed know that you do not follow anything. إِلَّا ذَنَّ Except mere conjecture. وَإِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا تَخْرُسُونَ And you were nothing other than people who were falling prey to speculation and guesswork. قُلْ فَلِلَّهِ الْحُجَّةُ الْبَالِغَةِ And say to them, Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala alone belongs الْحُجَّةُ الْبَالِغَةِ The conclusive argument, the decisive proof. فَلَوْ شَاءَ لَهَدَاكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ And if indeed were, had Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so willed, surely, certainly He would have guided each and every one of you أَجْمَعِينَ in entirety. Alright, this is referring to this incident of free will and predestination. So one thing that the atheists or the mushrikeen, the polytheists of Makkah Makarama, either way, were trying to offer was this notion of free will. And what they were saying is that we are in a state of jabr. That if Allah Ta'ala had willed it, we would, have, we would never have done shirk, nor would our forefathers have done shirk, i.e. we are doing shirk, and our forefathers did shirk, and we're making forbidden because Allah Ta'ala wills us to do so. And because Allah Ta'ala wills us to do so, then we are majboor, right? And therefore we're not morally accountable, we're not responsible for what Allah Ta'ala has willed us to do. In the end, actually, Allah Ta'ala gives, Allah has given several answers to that here. Number one, is that this is an issue not of choice, but it's an issue of knowledge. Now here, you know, those of you who have taken our classes, you have a whole 75-minute lecture on free will and predestination. So I'm not going to be able to repeat that here. But that, Imran can procure that for you. Imran. So one of the girls upstairs, I think Zertashi upstairs, if anybody wants that lecture, they can get that. I will just highlight a few things that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned here in response to that. That is at number one. That there are two things. You can say there are three things. Knowing something, doing something, and choosing something. Knowing something, doing something, and choosing something. Step two. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who does the knowing. He knows everything that we are going to do and we're going to choose. But Allah Ta'ala doesn't do the choosing for us and He doesn't do the knowing for us. Step three. 
we will do the choosing and doing ourselves and we will do it in such a way that we don't have the ability to know, we won't be knowing what we're going to do in the future. So this is a complete separation. Knowing lies with Allah Ta'ala and Allah Ta'ala alone. And choosing and doing lies with the human being alone. So that is the first Ishallah told the Prophet to say, Hal indakum min ilmin that you have any knowledge? Do you know that this is what you're going to do till the end of time, that until the end of your life, that you're going to do shirk? So they don't have that ill. Nobody can say that I know that. Nobody can even say that they know when they're going to die, let alone whether they will die in a state of iman or kufr or nifaq or shirk or otherwise. Right? So this is clear mention that the ilm lies with Allah SWT. Second, when Allah SWT said here, فَلَوْ شَاءَ لَهَدَاكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ If Allah SWT had willed, He would have and surely could have guided you all. In other words, that if He was to use His jabber, He would not use His jabber on anyone to make them misguided or unbeliever or atheist. If He was to manifest His jabber, He is al-jabbar, right? Al-jabbar means the compeller. If He was to compel people, He would compel everyone. Ajma'een, all of them to hidayah. But precisely the reality is Allah Ta'ala has chosen not to compel. It is in His ability. He is al-jabbar. He could have forced us. It's not it's in His ability. Were to we have used that ability, He would have done it to make everyone on hidayah. But rather He has chosen not to make, his, make, extra, make use of this ability. He has not forced us. He has left us free. So we are free to choose and we are free to do as we please. And to ensure that Allah Ta'ala's knowledge does not get in the way of our freedom to choose and do, Allah Ta'ala has kept His knowledge away from us. And He is Al-Alim and we don't have any knowledge whatsoever. Last thing I will say on this, and again you can listen to the more detailed talk on it separately, is that Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. there are two things I will mention then. Number one, Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned that the two things that can change a person's taqdeer or outcome, and that is number one, dua, and number two, a'mal salih. Right? And the last thing I will say is that the Quranic insan is that person who is submitting to the hidayah of Quran. So when they're submitting to hidayah of Quran means that it's actually irrelevant. It's actually irrelevant, the whole philosophical discussion as to whether in what sense a person has free will, along with the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does know, is irrelevant for the Qur'anic insan, because the Qur'anic insan's job is simply to follow the guidelines that are in Qur'an. That's his job. So those guidelines have mentioned things that are sin, and have told him to stay away from sin. His job is to choose not to do sin. That's his job. That's her job. Whether she wants to, philosophically realize Allah Ta'ala knew she was going to do that and choose that or not is actually secondary. Her job is first and foremost, primary job is to choose not to do sin and to choose to do all the things that Allah Ta'ala has commanded and wishes us to do. And you will find that the people who fulfill their primary role in that way, they're never disturbed by the secondary role. But those who don't fulfill the primary role, who actually don't fulfill Allah Ta'ala's commandments and don't stay away from sin, they will invoke the second thing, right, and try to suggest that they're not morally responsible. So, if a person wants to feel that they should not make any effort to do and choose what Allah Ta'ala wants them to do and choose, 
because Allah Ta'ala knows then they shouldn't make any effort to earn money they shouldn't make any effort even to eat they should no longer cook food nor should they have any plates or glasses or forks or knives in their home nor should they consciously eat because Allah Ta'ala already knows how many calories you're going to take in your whole lifetime so Allah Ta'ala is knowing if you, so that's, one, that's the only philosophical position you can take that Allah Ta'ala's knowing is going to make me stop choosing and doing, but it should make you then stop choosing and doing in every area of life, not just in ibadah, not just when it comes to sin, not just when it comes to deen. And all of you know such a philosophical position is untenable, it's unlivable. You couldn't live like that in such a way. Alright? Okay. So now you can see فَلِلَّهِ الْحُجَّةُ الْبَالَغَةِ You can see where Shaykh Shawli Allah came with the title of his book حُجَّةُ اللَّهُ الْبَالَغَةِ Alright قُلْ حَلُمَّ شُهَدَاءَكُمْ الَّذِينَ يَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَ هَذَا Let's say to them Nabi Yaksasam next and say so keep Allah Ta'ala keeps telling the Prophet what to say to them say to them my beloved Mr. Sassam حَلُمَّ شُهَدَاءَكُمْ That bring forth your witnesses Alladina Yashaduna, those who were indeed there to testify and witness that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited all of these things that you claim that Allah Ta'ala prohibited. And then on top of it, Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet, Fa in Shahidu, let's say some of them lie, means offer false testimony. Fala tashhad ma'ahum, you should not testify along with them. And you should not follow the whims and desires of those who have belittled, given lie, repudiated with our signs and our rulings and the verses of our revelation. And nor should you follow the whims and desires of those people who do not believe in the Akhirah. So this is a lesson for all believers that we cannot follow the philosophy or ideology Right? Whether it's called liberal arts or humanism or secularism, whatever it's called, that is derived and designed by those people, Alladina la yu'minuna bil akhirah, those who do not believe in the hereafter, who do not believe in life after death. Wahum bi rabbihim ya'dilun, and indeed they've considered others to be equal to their rabb, they've equated partners to their rabb. Kul ta'alo. Now the shan and of this is that some of the mushrikeen in Makkah then asked Sayyidina Sosam after he said these things to them, Okay, now you tell us then what is haram. You tell us at what indeed Allah SWT has prohibited. Kul say, my beloved messenger, sallallahu to them in response, ta'alo, come, come, all of you, come to me. Atlu, I will recite to you. Ma harrama rabbukum alaykum. That what, in, what all it is that your Rabb has prohibited alaykum upon you. Number one, and there are going to be ten things here. Number one, Allah tushriku bihi shay'a. The number one, that you should not associate any partners at all with him. Number two, That you should be good and kind and have offered the most virtuous and noble treatment and behavior with your two parents. This I've already explained before also. And number three, And that you should not kill your newborn babies infanticide min imlaq on account of fear of poverty here let me pause here this is a question that comes up as well birth control so the hukum of birth control in Islam is derived at by means of two things number one there was a hadith and would say not Rasulullah sallallahu allowed a particular type of birth control right 
uh, and second is chaos on this hukum of infanticide right and what does that mean that birth control in Islam is allowed for any reason except one birth control in Islam is allowed by any reason except one and is allowed by any means except one let me explain again actually it's allowed by any means but there's a misconception the way in the English language uh, doctors in the West use the term contraceptive so in Islam birth control means any mechanism or device or strategy or whatever that prevents fertilization unfortunately now they have something called the morning after pill which they call it birth control but that's not preventing fertilization that is after fertilization has taken place we won't call that birth control we call that abortion we will call that the abortion pill we won't call that the contraceptive morning after pill so birth control for us means anything that prevents fertilization from taking place right that is allowed for any reason except one and that is this reason for fear of poverty population control I remember, you know, my dad's good friend, Nafisanti, Dr. Nafisanik in the 1980s. She was head of the United Nations. At that point, they called it UNFPA, UN Fund for Population Activities. And she gave a clock to my dad, and it was in his office, I remember. And it was the population ticking time bomb clock that by 2000, we're going to have so many people. And alhamdulillah, Pakistan in 2000 has exceeded their greatest fears, and there's not famine across this whole country. The population in Pakistan in 2000 is more than they were horrifyingly predicting that it would be. In 1980 they were predicting to be. And the level that they tried to, especially in the 80s, there was this big thing uh, of population control. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, mm. Nahnu narzukukum wa iyahum. Nahnu know that we, royal we, 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 narzukukum, we provide for you wa iyahum, and indeed certainly we provide for them specifically. So to suggest, right, this is Allah making crystal clear that these children, unborn children, are yet to be born children, or in the gruesome practice of them that they actually killed children when they were born. That was their method. They would just slaughter newborn babies because they felt that they couldn't earn for them. This is the response to population control and family planning that is done for that reason. All of the economist's rational analysis or the sociologist's compassion, all of it is brought to naught with this one word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in Quran al-Kareem, وَإِيَّاهُمْ Yes, I accept that when you also meet if you go meet a genuinely, truly poor person and they have five kids and you will look at the five kids and you will think they barely have, they're already malnourished and your rational mind would suggest to you that this person should not have a sixth kid for precisely this reason, that if already the first five are malnourished, then why in the world should they have a sixth one? And I accept 100% that that is indeed the conclusion that rationality would definitely lead to. And I can even accept that a compassion, a human compassion that is unguided by revelation and un, not subservient to revelation would also lead to the exact same conclusion. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in Quran, نَحْنُ نَرْزُكُكُمْ وَإِيَّاهُمْ That surely, certainly, guaranteed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, is providing and sending risk for you and is going to provide and send risk for them. 
Alright? So for this reason, birth control is not allowed. For any other reason, it is allowed. Any other reason means that a husband and wife feel, okay, we have four kids, we're happy, we don't want any more, we like this family size, no problem. A husband and wife are newly married, they feel that they've just gotten to know another, they want to spend time being husband and wife before they become father and mother, no problem, they can do birth control. They feel that because of their jobs, they don't have time to be parents, no problem, they can wait and have kids later. All of these things are permissible. By no problem I meant permissible, may not necessarily preferable, not necessarily preferable, right? But they're definitely permissible. But this reason is absolutely impermissible. So any notion or philosophy of population control and family planning for economic reasons is absolutely prohibited in the deen of Islam. Right? Okay. وَلَا تَقْرِبُوا الْفَوَاهِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا So this is number four. I told you there are ten. Number four. Fourth thing Allah Ta'ala is going to do. وَلَا تَقْرِبُوا Don't even go near. Don't go near, don't draw near al-fawahisha. Fawahisha means acts of indecency, of lewdness. It means the opposite of haya. Opposite of haya. Things that are immodest, unchaste, impure, lewd, indecent. Ma zahara minha. Don't go near ma each and every such act. Zahara minha that is apparent. Wa ma batana. And don't go even near any such act that is internal, that is inner. The outward and the inward, the apparent and the hidden, don't go near any type of thing. What does it mean? It means don't go near any such place where people openly engage in immodesty. Try not to go near as much as possible. You may not, you may have to sometimes in terms of university environment or workplace environment. Other than that, don't go near places in which people don't take care of their chastity and modesty and purity. And they're openly flaunting their immodesty and indecency. And do not in your hearts harbor any such thoughts. Have such a tight control over your heart and your passions and your nafs and your desire and your mind and your thoughts that none of your emotions nor your desires nor your thoughts go even near to the ideas or fantasizing of these lustful indecencies. Very strong command. Very strong command. لا تقربوا Don't go near it. Okay, number four. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَلَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ And do not murder, do not kill that soul which Allah subhanahu has made sacred, has prohibited إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ Due to some reason we've done this before, capital punishment for murder. There are certain things in Islam for which capital punishment is allowed. Alright? Interesting for you to look, reflect on the order. Normally, secular liberal ethics suggest that murder is the greatest crime. Quran is putting shirk as number one. Number two, number two, treating your parents well. Number three, thinking that Allah Ta'ala won't send risk on you, fearing of poverty. Number four, indecency, lewdness, immodesty. And after that, number five, comes murder. So spiritually devastating, more spiritually devastating than murder, is al-fawahisha, is this lewdness and indecency. Thus has Allah Sponsor enjoyed and commanded these things upon you, so that you may understand. Now come another five. And do not go near the wealth and assets of the orphan, except by means of the best and noble and pure and excellent conduct. I.e., that's already been covered before in detail that you're spending of it, right, for their own sake. 
on them, right? Hatta yabloga ashudda until they reach the ages of maturity, age of maturity that we've also explained to in detail earlier. Wa awful qayla, number seven. Wa awful qayla wal mizana bil kist. And you should give the full weight and the full measurement bil kist in justice. So this is, you know, that when the person sells the fruits and the half kilo weight should really weigh half a kilo. And the scales should be set and they should be balanced, right? When a person knobs, if you're buying three gaz of fabric, they shouldn't give you pony three gaz, right? They should give you exactly the amount. And this is a problem. Another is also means when somebody sells you one liter of milk, it shouldn't mean that it's 900 ml milk and 100 ml water. And literally, you know, I've had people confess from rural areas. Uh, and who was with me that day? Here we went and we had a chance to go to the rural area and we were sitting with and the person told me that when he came onto Deen, he made toba and he stopped mixing water with milk. And he told me every single person is mixing water with milk. And he says that but now I'm not able to make ends meet. And he says I tried to charge a little bit higher and he said that the urban city people, and he meant, and he used to drive, he comes from a rural area outside Lahore, he comes all the way, I don't know how long it took him, one hour to come to Lahore. And he sells the milk, and he says those people have the money. And he says, and they know, they can tell when they drink my milk that it doesn't have water, but they're not willing to pay 10, 15% more. They insist on me, and I've noticed this feature in the, in the, in the middle class and upper middle class and upper class of this country. They grind the poor, down, poor people down into what they feel is the market rate. If it's in their mind that the plumber should get 100 rupees for one hour's work, there's no, if the guy even asks for 150, right? whereas themselves, they always want annual raise and annual bond. Every year they feel their salary should go up. But they feel the workers and the rate of milk and everything should be the same. It was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. So here, this poor fellow, you know, he was struggling. But alhamdulillah, what he told me that day was that even then, I haven't started adding, adding milk, water. Allahu Akbar. Ibiq taqwa Right? The taqwa of the rural man, refusing to add. When I was sitting in the madrasa, there was a student. Allahu <laughs> Akbar. I still remember the whole scene. As a student, and he used to sell honey. And so my ustad asked him in class. One day, somehow it came up. I don't know how it came up. So he asked him, that, do you mix abmilawr kirtisha? And he looked down. He couldn't say no. He looked down. He's a student of a madrasa. He looked down. Allah. So this is a very widespread, widespread sin that is occurring. And yes, it may be occurring due to those economic pressures and all of that, right? And many of them feel this. But until all of them stop doing it, right? The real solution is that all of them should stop adding water. and All of them should ask for 20% more. And then what are you going to do? Then what would you do? You'd be forced to buy it, right? So here, this is the seventh ruling. Allah saying that we have not placed a burden on any soul other than that which it can bear. وَإِذَا كُلْتُمْ فَأْدِلُوا وَلَوْ كَانَ ذَا قُرْبَ Eighth ruling is that you should say be fair to the just. Be fair and just. فَأْدِلُوا Be fair and just. وَلَوْ كَانَ ذَا قُرْبَ Even if it is matter concerning your relative. Words, don't be partial and biased at all when making judgments. Even if it's your own relative, you should be absolutely strictly fair and just. You shouldn't be biased to show any partiality in any case because it's your relative. And number ten, وَبِأَهْدِ اللَّهِ 
awfu. And with the covenant that you swore with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, awfu, you must fulfill that. ذَلَكُمْ وَسَّاكُمْ بِهِ لَأَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ Thus has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enjoined this commandment upon you so that you may become people who are conscientious of Him all the time, always doing dhikr of Him, and you may become people who learn and take the tazkara and nasiha and counsel from this Qur'an. So what do you find here at the end? Allah ta'ala made it clear that it's not enough that a lot of the other things had to do with hukukul ibad. Don't murder, don't do milawat, etc. Be fair and just, etc. etc. So some people may think that that is enough of morality. So Allah Ta'ala made it clear at the end. And then sometimes you would say in English, last but not least. And certainly that is the case here. And we shouldn't view this as the least as some people do. What is this? This tenth thing, tenth command. And you should absolutely fulfill and be true to the covenant you have taken with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is that covenant? This hukukullah, that you are His abd and He is your rabb. That means that you should do all those ibadat. You must stay away from all those sins. You must follow all the teachings in Quran. And part of the ahad that you took with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in addition to ashadu la ilaha illallah, was ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so you must be true to that covenant that you accepted this person to be the messenger and prophet of Allah. So you must follow the sunnah and teachings and injunctions of this person. So that is the 10th and very important thing. So it means that guidance is not sufficient. A person cannot be considered rightly guided until they are fulfilling their pledge with Allah subhanahu wa Then now Allah subhanahu wa says, وَأَنَّ هَذَا سِرَاتِي مُسْتَقِيمًا And know that indeed that this, so these ten points consist of a khulasa. Hada, that this, these ten points are a khulasa of what? Sirati of my path, my capital M, my path, Allah subhanahu wa path. Mustaqiman, and it is absolutely straight and true and pure. فَاتَّبِئُوهُ So each and every one of you should follow that path that Allah Ta'ala has outlined for you. وَلَا تَتَّبِئُوا السُّبُلَى And do not follow those many, many, many paths. فَاتَّفَرَّكَ بِكُمْ أَنْ سَبِيلِهِ That will separate you, that would separate you from His path. وَسَّاكُمْ بِهِ لَأَلَّكُمْ تَتَّكُونَ And Allah Ta'ala has enjoined and commanded this upon all of you so that you may become people of taqwa, so that you may fear Him as He deserves to be feared. So here Allah Ta'ala is making it clear that while the straight path is, the true path is one, the path leading to Allah Subhanahu is one, there are many, many, many paths that are of deviation and that lead people astray from Him. ثُمَّ أَتَيْنَا مُوسَى الْكِتَابِ And here Allah Ta'ala is bringing another topic that indeed we bestowed upon Sayyidina Musa from the book, the scripture. تَمَامًا الَّذِي أَحْسَنَ It can mean number one is the fulfillment. For those who do good, who do asan, it can also mean as a completion of the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's bounty and blessing on the people of asan. And it contains details and exposition and explanation and details of each and everything. And it is a book of absolute guidance, a book of absolute mercy. And why was this book sent down on Sayyidina Musa Islam? لَأَلُّهُمْ So that perhaps in the hope that the Jews بِلِقَاءِ رَبِّهِمْ يُؤْمِنُونَ That they would believe in the meeting with their Rabb, they would believe in the Day of Judgment, they would believe in the Akhirah. But here it doesn't just mean also belief. Because if you think about it, the Jews did believe in Allah SWT. It means that they will live a life and lead a life fully conscious and aware that one day they will be made to stand in front of their Rabb. 
And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, the contrast you can see between Muslims and Jews in Quran. The hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Jews will what? بِلِقَاءِ رَبِّهِمْ يُؤْمِنُونَ That they will have iman in this meeting. Whereas you're going to see many ayat coming later in Quran that talk about that the Muslims have what? يَرْجُوا Allah, That they yearn for the meeting with Allah. Forget iman, they yearn for it. They live for it. It's their passion. It's the be-all and end-all of their existence that they're going to be presented in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every single thing they do on this earth is subjugated and subservient to that. Mahada kitabun and this book, Quran Kareem, Anzalnahu Mubarakun, we have Allah Ta'ala saying we revealed it down this Quran, Mubarakun as a book full of barakah containing all of the guidance and welfare for this world and the Akhirah. Fattabi'uhu and each and every human being is addressed here in Quran. Each and every one of you should follow Quran al Kareem. Wattaku and each and every one of you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala la allakum turhamun so that the mercy so that you may be amongst those who receive the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that you may be amongst those who drown in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Quran and Taqwa. Antakulu. Another reason Allah Ta'ala, this is a list of reasons now Allah, why Allah Ta'ala has sent down Quran. Next reason, Antakulu, lest you say, means you shouldn't say this, lest you say, Innama unzil kitabu ala ta'ifataini min kablina, that indeed scripture, kitab, book, scripture, revelation was only revealed, ala ta'ifataini on two groups min kablina before us. What does this mean? This is that the pagan Arabs could have said this, they, were, they would be referring to the Jews and Christians. Because up to this point, the Arabian community had not received their own prophet. This is now Nabi Akim has come to resolve this issue. But up to this point, they were saying that okay, because they didn't claim. They had their idol-worshipping religion, but they, their religion didn't have a kitab, didn't have a scripture. So whenever they thought about scripture, whenever they thought about books, whenever they thought about revelation, they thought that, yeah, that's two groups before us, Jews and Christians, they have it. And what would they say about themselves? وَإِن كُنَّا أَن They would say, وَإِن كُنَّا أَن And indeed we are ignorant of its teachings. So dirasa, dirasa from dars, right? The teachings and expositions of the Qur'an. لَغَافِلِينَ Indeed we are unaware of it. So this would be one thing. That Allah says, okay, I want to send the Qur'an and as a hujjah to you, lest you get away and try to say this, that oh, scripture was something sent to two other groups, Jews and Christians, and we have no idea uh, what is in the teachings of those scriptures. Oh, or less that you say, oh, takulu, or less that you say, Lo anna unzila alaynal kitabu, lakunna ahda minhum. So that they also used to say this, that were the scriptural revelation to be sent down and revealed upon us, lakunna ahda minhum, ahda, we would be more on hidayah. We would be even more rightly guided, better guided than them. So this is the perfect opportunity now. You've got Qur'an al-Kareem and Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa reminding them of the words they used to say. Alright. فَكَدْ جَاءَكُمْ So either it's words they used to say or it's words that they could have said if the Qur'an had never been revealed. فَكَدْ جَاءَكُمْ بَيِّنَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ And indeed a clear clarification and proof and Convicting con, proof that suffices for conviction, may Rabbikum has come to you from your Rabb. Wahudaw wa rahma, and it is a hidayah, a guidance, and a mercy. Faman adlamu mimman kalla And who is there who is more unjust and wrong than that person 
who falsifies, disbelieves, repudiates in the ayat, the verses of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wasadafa anha and shuns other people from them and keeps other people away from them. Sanadzilladina yasdifuna an ayatina su al adab. And Allah says that surely soon we will meet out a worse punishment, we will recompense those who kept people away from our verses of our revelation, su al-azabi, the most terrible, the most tormenting, the most evil of punishments, bimakanu yastifun, because of the way they used to continually, perpetually keep people away from the verses of revelation. The way they used to divert people from the verses of revelation. Hal yanzuruna illa an ta'tiyahumul malaikatu, that are they waiting? Are they waiting for anything other than what? That angels are going to come down to them? Oh, yatiya rabbuka, or that your rub is going to come down to them? Oh, yatiya ba'du ayati rabbika, or are they waiting for some particular signs of their rub to come down? Some of the Bufasirin, again, like I told you, ba'd means one. So there was a hadith in Bukhari, a uh, hadith that Imam Bukhari Ta'ala has recorded and transmitted. That Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu mentioned that at the end of time, one of the signs of the, but there's only this one particular verse in the hadith, at the end of time the sun will rise from the west. And when it rises from the west, and this is what the next ayahs are going to explain, what the Prophet said in that hadith, that when it rises from the west, at that point everyone will accept Imam. Because, but it won't be Iman bil ghayb, it won't have been Iman in the unseen, they would have seen it. And so the Prophet said that everyone will accept Iman, but their Iman will not avail them anything. It will not be of any benefit to them in any way. That's exactly what Allah is going to say. Yoma yati ba'adha ayatin. But yoma yati ba'adha ayatin rabbika. And that day on which will come one of the signs of your Rabb. So, according, if you. Understand this ayah in light of that hadith. It means when the sun will rise in the west. La yanfa'u nafsan imanuha. That no person will be of any benefit. It will not benefit any person to have iman in that sign. Right? Sorry, the iman of a person will not benefit a person in any way at that moment if they take iman when they see this clear and manifest sign. When, if he didn't believe, lam takun amanat min kablu. If he didn't believe in it before. So if he didn't have iman before, then whatever surge of iman he has when he sees that sign will not be of any benefit to him at all. Oh, kasabat fi imaniha khaira. And what this would mean that they should have had iman before and kasabat they should have earned fi imaniha by means of their iman khaira good. And this is also then an indication in Quran that iman is something that we're supposed to earn khair, do good deeds by means of it. So what does it mean that when the signs of the end of time come and people see them open and manifest and obviously they take iman because of that, that iman that is that occurs when a person sees the manifest signs of the end of time will not be of benefit to anyone except that person who number one, already had iman beforehand and number two, kasabat fi imaniha khaira and also had been earning khair by means of their iman. So it means they should have had iman and they should have been using their iman to earn and to propagate and to do good as well. Kul, say to them, Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, That you're waiting to see, inna muntadirun, we are waiting to see. 
what does this mean? So this means, for example, let's say there are people who believe in astronomy and say, yeah, yeah, sure, let's see that day when the sun rises in the west. That's what it's saying. That's what, that's what, that's, that's what the meaning is. Kulin tadiru, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's see, whenever that day happens, dude, when it's going to rise in the west, right? Huh? They may talk like that. Huh? Whenever that day comes, Salat al saying, inna muntadirun. We are waiting for that day. We are just waiting for that day. That when our end of time comes and the signs become manifest on you and we fold up this world and then we call you back to us and then we will tell you what about all those things that, uh, concerning which you differed and all those other ayat can be understood here. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ فَرَّكُوا دِينَهُمْ وَكَانُوا شِيَعًا Indeed those who fractured their deen, who split their deen. Those who split up their deen وَكَانُوا شِيَعًا لَسْتَ مِنْهُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ That they are, they're on nothing, they have nothing. They have no, they've lost everything. They've lost everything. إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ that indeed their matter will be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ فَرَّكُوا دِينَهُمْ And those who create schisms cause splinters in their deen. وَقَانُوا shia, And they are such people who, what do they do? They adopt and split up into factions. So then what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say here in Quran? لَسْتُ مِنْهُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ لَسْتَ 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 For you Prophet nothing. you have nothing to do with them. Lasta minhum fi shay'in, you should have nothing to do with such a thing at all. Innama amruhum illallah, that indeed their affair will be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their matter lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Thumma yunabbihum bimaqanu yaf'alun, and indeed then when they return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform them about each and every single thing that they used to do. مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ أَشْرُ أَمْثَالِهَا And whomsoever brings to Allah SWT a good deed will be granted the reward of ten of its kind. So this means that you can get tenfold reward from Allah SWT. وَمَنْ جَاءَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ And whomsoever brings an evil deed, a sin, a wrongdoing to Allah SWT فَلَا يُدْزَى إِلَّا مِثْلَهَا That person will only get one punishment for that. So here this is also one of the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, that the good deeds are multiplied tenfold, but the sins and the bad deeds are just recompensed in like or singular form. وَهُمْ لَا يُذْلَمُونَ And no injustice will be done to them. And that's true, it would be unjust that if you did one sin and you got the punishment for ten of them. Right? And so this is also a notion that people should realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is generous. And he can give how much he wants. So in terms of sawab, in terms of sawab, the matter is not cold and calculating. I say this because sometimes, some of the people who don't believe in isali sawab, that you can do some act of ibadah and send the sawab to somebody else, they say, well that wouldn't be fair. Because that person didn't do it. Right? How can a person get the sawab of something he didn't do? They ask this question. So here Allah Ta'ala is saying, a person is going to get the swab of nine things they didn't do. They did one good deed. They're going to get the swab of ten, right? So they're getting the swab of nine good deeds that they didn't do. So the Quran establishes that Allah Ta'ala has set up a structure that people will get swab of things that they don't even do. Right? And the second thing about his swab is that person actually did do something. He must have done something, had some relationship with you due to which you offered that Recitation of Quran to him. There are many people who when they pass away from this world, there is nobody left behind who even bothers to pray for them. There is nobody left behind who gives any charity in their name. There is nobody left behind who recites any Quran in their name. 
right? And then there are some people who leave this world and there are people who do those things. So it must have been something that that person did in this world, right? That prompted those people to do that for them, right? And if a person thinks that you should only get what you yourself earn, then you also have to eliminate education, right? We should say, you know, because what is that when a person is educating you, they're transferring what they learned to you. It's a transference of knowledge that you didn't learn, that they learned, and they're transferring that to you. So just like that in terms of spirituality, if a person earns some sawab for something, they can transfer it to you, just like they could also try to transfer their ilm to you. All right. So, Claire, let's take a break over here. It's 3.40, and uh, inshallah we'll continue. Almost done with Surah Al-Qur'an. I said so we'll take a break, inshallah. So we are back here now on Qur'an Al-Kareem, and we are here on Surah Al-Anam, Surah number 6, and we are in power number 8, Jews number 8, and we are on verse number 161. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ قُلْ إِنَّنِي هَدَانِي رَبِّي إِلَى سِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ That say my beloved messenger some to these polytheists and atheists of Makkah Makarmah إِنَّنِي هَدَانِي رَبِّي إِلَى سِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ That indeed me, me, my Rabb has guided me إِلَى سِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ to the straight path. So here Nabi Akram Sassam is being taught by Al-Sponto to emphasize that even he is in need of guidance. Even he is only rightly guided because Allah SWT has guided him. And therefore, it's not that Sayyidina Rasulullah is trying to ask the mushrikeen of Makkah to take him as a god or to take him as some type of you know, deity or idol or something like what they're normally used to. They're actually, he's referring them to Allah SWT. To Allah SWT. And he's proclaiming to them. And you remember here also earlier, Sayyidina Isa also said the same thing that I told my community. I'm an Abd, I'm an Abd, and you should worship my Rabb and your Rabb. You should worship Allah SWT. So Sayyidina Rasulullah is being enjoined by Allah SWT to say the same thing. And what is that Sirat al-Mustaqim? Deen and Qayyiman. That it is a rightly established, firmly established, straightly, perfectly, purely established deen. Millati Ibrahima Hanifa. And that we've done with you several times before. That is the way of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. And both Ibrahim alayhi salam is Hanif. And that way is Hanif. It is a way that is inherently averse to sin and disobedience. And a way of humanity that is inherently, intrinsically leaning towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And worshipping Him and loving Him. وَمَا كَانَ مَنِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And the same thing that Sayyidina Ibrahim used to say to his people. Sayyidina Rasulullah is being taught by Allah to say to his, the people he's addressing. وَمَا كَانَ مَنِ And indeed, I am not from amongst the idol worshippers. قُلْ إِنَّ سَلَاتِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَا Okay, this is also a very famous ayah 162 that many times people recite in du'a. Let me just see if there's anything we need to comment on here. Okay, in the salati, indeed my salah, Munusuki, it means all my ibadat. Literally, it meant the rites of Hajj, Manasik. We did that for you before. Sometimes also used for animal sacrifice. Nusuk means all my rites and rituals. But I don't like to use that English word because the anthropology of religion has <laughs> given that term a very negative term. So all of my ways of subservient, of submitting and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is devouted and loving and loyal and servant. 
میرے عبادت کے تمام ناز اور انداز اور طریقہ کار اوکے و ماتی اینڈ انڈی مائی ویری لائف اٹ سیلف اینڈ مائی ڈیتھ اٹ سیلف از واٹ آل آف دیٹ لاہ لام فار اختصاص از اونلی اینڈ اونلی اینڈ اونلی فار دا سیک آف اللہ سپن و تعالیٰ رب العالمین ہو از دا رب آف آل آف دا ورلڈ لا شریک لہو دیٹ دیر از نو پارٹنر ٹو ہیم Okay, and again, Sayyidina Al-Susam was specifically saying this to the Mushrikeen of Makkah Mukadamah. All right. وَبِذَلَكَ أُمِرْتُ And thus, and by means of this I have been commanded, وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And I am the first of the Muslims. Now here, Al-Muslimin is being used specifically to denote the former religion of Islam. Otherwise, you saw earlier that Sayyidina Ibrahim Al-Islam and other Anbiya were referring to themselves as Muslimin. That meant in terms of people who have submitted to the will and wish of Allah SWT. Here, وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ can also mean that from this community of the Arabian Peninsula, I am the first to submit to Allah SWT in this day, in this age, in this space, in this time, in this makan, in this summer. Right? قُلْ أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَمْغِي رَبَّوْ وَهُوَ رَبُّ كُلْنِ شَيْءٍ Say to them, my beloved Messenger Sallam, that would I ever seek a Rabb other than Allah SWT when that Allah SWT is the Lord and the Rabb of each and every single thing. وَلَا تَكْسُبُ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ إِلَّا عَلَيْهَا And indeed, no soul will do anything or perpetrate anything or get anything except إِلَّا عَلَيْهَا except what is its due. وَلَا تَزِرُوا وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَى And no soul will be made to bear the burden of another. No soul will be laden with the responsibility of that which is actually due upon another. ثُمَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ مَرْجِئُكُمْ And then know that indeed towards your Rabb is your ultimate return. فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ فِيهِ تَخْتَلِفُونَ And then indeed your Rabb will inform and clearly exposit for you about all of those things, concerning all of those things about which you used to perpetually differ and disagree. وَهُوَ الَّذِي جَعَلَكُمْ خَلَائِفَ الْأَرْضِ وَرَفَعَ بَعْضَكُمْ فَوْكَ بَعْضٍ دَرَجَاتٍ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا أَتَاكُمْ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ سَرِيعُ الْإِقَابِ وَإِنَّهُ لَغْفُورُ الرَّحِيمِ He was supposed to say that indeed Allah SWT is the one who made you. Remember Khalifatul Ard Sakhalaif is plural of Khalifa. This is the إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَ Allah SWT said earlier when he created an Adam al-Islam. So this is that Allah SWT that who is Rabbul Alameen who has created and is sustaining and nourishing all of the worlds, but He has put you, O humanity, as His khala'if, as His khalifas, as His, mm, as his deputies and His vice-regents, His representatives on earth, that you will embody, you are meant to embody and enact and instill everything that is good and everything that is noble and everything that is excellent, because that Rabb is going to teach you through an excellent, noble, virtuous book by sending you an excellent, noble and virtuous prophet so that you can become the embodiment of excellence, nobility and virtue and thus thereby you will be representing His will and wish on earth, you will be His Khalifa on earth. And Allah has elevated some of you humanity over others in terms of darajat. So first of all, this refers to the ranks that some have been raised over, that means the Anbiya, that they're Nabeen, then there are other ranks there, there's Siddiqeen, Shuhada, Salihin, there's Muttaqeen, there's just plain Mu'mineen, right? So there are ranks, there are darajat. 
There are darajat. Now what does this mean? Because on the other hand, Islam is a very egalitarian message that we all pray together, we all fast together. So it means in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in terms of our potential, our capacity, we're all equal. But everybody chooses to fulfill that potential differently. Sometimes our own shaykh gives an example on some other type of khilafat, is that everybody is given the same type of engine. But some people choose to drive the car a hundred miles, some people drive it a thousand miles, some people drive it a hundred thousand miles, some people leave it rusting and parked in the garage. So in that sense, right, a person gets these darajat. Alright? Okay. لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا أَتَاكُمْ So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may test and examine us regarding what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed us with the trend ma atakum what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon you. Inna rabbaka sariul kaab indeed know that your Rabb is extremely swift in calling to account and in reckoning. Wa innahu la rahim but that indeed that he is certainly and surely all forgiving and all merciful. Alright. Surah Al-A'raf No, the translation The book Surah Al-A'raf Okay, so here Mufti Takyus Mani is given Because he gives these very short summaries of the surahs in the beginning Okay, first he's chosen to talk about the name Al-A'raf means Is but heights, heights, high places Places of elevation or altitude Right, but it's not to be thought of in this world. This is not going to, Al-Araf doesn't mean the mountain peaks or the high elevated points of this world. It is a place that is between Jannat and Jahannam. Now, there's a lot, he's mentioned one of there's a lot, and we'll do it when it comes, inshallah. The Mufassirin have written a lot of views as to what exactly Al-Araf are. A similar parallel to this in Christianity is purgatory, but I'm mentioning it to you specifically because the Islamic concept is quite different from that. The Christian concept of purgatory is that there is a place which is neither heaven nor hell, that some people will live forever. So there's yet a third domain in the Akhirah. For, for the deen of Islam, no, there are only two eternal domains, that is Jannah and Jahannam. Araf is like actually really these high elevated, but they're plains, on which people will wander whose, according to one view, right, whose good deeds and bad deeds are pretty much equal. And so they aren't good enough to go straight to Jannah. But nor have they sinned enough to go to Jannah via Jahannam. I mean, Allah, but it's a very fine system of grading, right? So rather that what they will do is they will just wander these plains for some period of time and what exactly what will do it, what exactly they're doing there and ziyada, a lot of tafsir and views on this issue. But so according to the predominant view then they will wander there and then eventually Allah Ta'ala will make each and every one of them enter into Jannah. Right? Okay. So that's coming later on. That's coming in the middle of the surah. And so obviously if you've seen, I've highlighted for you, I think I've tried for every surah that why is it that the surah was named in this particular way. This surah was also revealed in large in Makkah Mukarramah. And again, it is also trying to invite mushrikeen and atheists, polytheists to iman. And it contains similar such themes. 
talking about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the risala, the nabuat of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu and also containing warnings of the punishment that will befall people who don't accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who don't accept the akhirah. Here, another feature that you're going to have is just like it's going to mention this place called A'raf, this surah is also going to consist of some descriptions of Jannat and Jahannam. It's also going to mention a bit more details, which you haven't had so much yet, right? And as you go through Quran, the details sometimes get a bit more vivid uh, and a bit more intense. Alright. Billahi min rajimi rahim alif lam kitabun unzila ilayka fala yakun fi sadrika harajun minhu litunzira bihi wa dhikra lil mu'mineen. So here Allah Salaamim Sa'ad, again these are Hurufa Maqata'at, these are letters, the meaning of which no one can say they definitively know the meaning, and that is where we have chosen to leave it as far as this goes. Kitabun, that this is a book, Unzila Ilayka has been revealed unto you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, and you should not feel, and there should not be in your breast, your chest, any weight or haraj or burden or weighty burden, really, weighty burden on it, minhu, from the revelation of this book, it has been revealed to you so that you may you may warn and admonish others by means of this book and it has also been revealed as the book of counsel and advice and guidance and remembrance for the believers so earlier you have seen now that is and we saw that but it's also specifically a zikra for the mu'mineen so now Allah Ta'ala is shifting and actually addressing all the believers that all of you should follow. What, Allah, what has been revealed and sent down to you, min rabbikum from your Rabb. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا مِن دُونِهِ And none of you should follow anything other than that. مِن دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءِ You should not follow other than your Rabb, مِن دُونِهِ Other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should not take or follow anyone as your wali. So again, Wali, we've done this many times, patron, benefactor, and friend. So here you can see when Allah Ta'ala has put exclusive right to him being Wali, then one can understand why one would not want people who don't believe in Quran to also be Wali, when Wali is a status, being our Wali is a status that Allah Ta'ala has set for himself. So that's when the English word friend doesn't make sense there. Right? Friend is not a problem. Wali is a problem. And there are other Arabic words for friend, Siddiq and Rafiq, and there are other words for that. Okay. However, however, what is going to happen? Little, very little of it is, is it that you will remember, or little is it that you are going to take advice and admonishment from. And how many communities are there, talking about past communities, how many communities have there existed, how many literally villages and towns have existed, ahlaknaha, that we destroyed them, that we annihilated them. It means Allah Ta'ala is referring to sending His punishment onto them. Right? How we destroyed them. Faja'aha ba'suna, and I mentioned before, the sternness, the punishment, the vengeance of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala came to each, and ba'suna means our vengeance, came to each and every one of such communities. Bayatun ohum ka'ilun, either it came to them bayatun, it means in the night, during the night, ohum ka'ilun, or it came to such a place when they were doing kailula, not when they were speaking, when they were doing kailula, when they were napping. It came to them either in the night or it came to them when they were napping. This suggests that when it came to them in the night that they would be sleeping or that they were napping. So different people have understood this differently. 
One way that normally your mind may think is that this is a mercy that Allah Ta'ala sent the punishment on them when they were sleeping. But another way is that it, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala didn't even want them to have that last second iman that was just mentioned above, that when some sign is manifested from Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, everybody has iman in that, but that iman will not be a benefit to them. Allah Ta'ala didn't even want them to even have, even if that didn't count, but even have that last second iman. What does that mean? That when a manifest punishment would come on them, then obviously it's a cataclysmic event, right? It's understood that it's a supernatural event and people would be led to belief in the Supreme Creator, especially when the communities who are punished are those communities to whom Allah Subhanahu has sent a prophet, has sent a warner and a bringer of glad tidings and they have rejected him and so he would have spoken to them about Allah Ta'ala's punishment, right? So when the punishment comes, he would realize it was true and Allah Ta'ala does exist, even that Allah Subhanahu doesn't want them to have. So although rationally it may seem like oh, this was kind of Allah's mercy that He punished them when they were sleeping, actually it's a more intense form of His punishment that He doesn't want them to even have the la- that last minute of that iman. Alright? That kalilamma tadakkarun is actually addressed to the believers. It's addressed to us. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying in the Quran that the vast majority of believers are only going to take advice from a little bit of Quran. And how sad and unfortunate it is that Allah subhanahu wa has to say that and how infinitely more tragic is that when we look around and empirically look at this ummah we can say it's probably true right even any individual one of us me or you or how many of us can say that we are following 100% of what's in the deen most of us would say we follow a little bit of what's in the deen that's the best person today right the best person today is the one who's following a little bit of deen right so this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that. He knows that, right? So here, but then he had shifted to talking about this uh, earlier. Well, فَمَا كَانَ دَعْوَاهُمْ إِذْ جَاءُهُمْ بَعْصُنَا إِلَّا أَنْ قَالُوا إِنَّا كُنَّا ظَالِمِينَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying is that when we call them to us and question them, all right, إِذْ جَاءُهُمْ That when our vengeance and punishment came to them and overcame them, illa ankalu inna kunadhalamin, and they were not able to say anything except that we were indeed unjust transgressors. Right? So at that moment when they snapped, a slight second in between the sleep and their death, right? Uh, they weren't able to say, we believe. They weren't able to say, right? Like Sayyidina, oh, not Sayyidina, sorry, Pharaoh said, <laughs> when he was drowning at the last moment, he said, Amantu, he said, I believe. Some other person may at the last moment, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about say believe, they were taken so suddenly in their sleep or when they were napping, that they're not able to say anything that they believe. They're simply just only able to actually testify to their own, against their own self. They couldn't testify to the rububiyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just testified that their own selves were oppressive. Indeed, we are going to surely and certainly and undoubtedly do so'al. We are going to interrogate. It's not asked, we are going to interrogate those to whom we had sent our anbiya and mursaleen. وَلَنَسْأَلَنَّ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And we're going to interrogate the prophets as well. We're going to interrogate those to whom the message was sent 
And we're going to interrogate and question the messengers as well. So you saw one example of that yesterday or day before, when Allah SWT asked Sayyidina Isa right? Did you send the message? Did you say that? Did you say that? And it's also mentioned in the hadith that this also ayah used to make Sayyidina Rasulullah cry. These two words, وَلَنَسْ أَلَنَّ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Because he would think how Allah SWT would interrogate him about his ummah. And this is why the lovers of the true lovers of Sayyidina Rasulullah they want to live a life. And they think like this, that I don't want my person to be interrogated about me. That I lie and then Allah Ta'ala will say, didn't you tell them he's not supposed to lie? That I don't pray and Allah Ta'ala interrogates my Nabiyyah, didn't you tell them they were supposed to pray? Obviously not, Allah Ta'ala knows, right? But this is what Allah Ta'ala is saying, وَالنَّسْ أَنَنَّا In the same, لَامِ تَعْكِيدًا نُونَ تَعْكِيدًا سَكِيلًا تَعْرِسَ up. Allah Akbar. Nobody's supposed to take that literally. <laughs> that indeed, indeed, we will interrogate the prophets and messengers. Allahu Akbar. So we should, we should read this ayah and cry. It shouldn't have been Sayyidina Rasulullah who read this and cried. It should have been us who read this and thought that, you know, what if Allah Ta'ala asked my Prophet about me? Said, look, look at this kid. Look at this kid. Look, look at him. <laughs> That's your ummah. Ab batao ke apne pegham bejaayene. Allah Akbar. What if that happens to one of us? Hmm? How do we feel? How do we respond? <laughs> so this is a relationship. This is an ummati nabi relationship. Now you say in Urduna ke rishta ko nibhana hai. And even a high patan language. But you have to be true to that relationship. You don't flee and abandon these relationships. There's no escape clause. There's no exit strategy. Right? So we should make ourselves as good an ummati to him as he was a nabi to us. It's that simple. Nothing less should suffice in our minds. Not that I'm so-so Muslim, I kind of follow the sunnah, you know, I'm weak, or I'm lazy, or you know, I'm busy, or I've got other things going on. Did he say that? <laughs> Did he say that to the people in Medina Manar, Makkah, Makkah, No. <laughs> he left every single thing for the sake of his ummah. So the ummati is the name of that person who is willing to leave everything prohibited and disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَلَنَا قُسَّنَّ عَلَيْهِمْ بِإِلْمِهُ وَمَا كُنَّ غَائِبِينَ Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, and indeed, then we will tell all, we will tell everyone, بِإِلْمٍ with proof, knowledge, strong, firmly established knowledge. And وَمَا كُنَّ غَائِبِينَ We were never ever absent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we were always there. Then the person's feeling on the day of judgment will be like Allah Ta'ala is present, right? Because it will be presented in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. They will feel that Allah Ta'ala is hadir, that He's present. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala say, وَمَا كُنَّ غَائِبِينَ We were never absent. <laughs> we were always there. We were always intimately watching you. We were always as intimately aware of you as you were aware of me on this day of judgment. I was always as intimately aware of you. Allahu Akbar. So this is for a person to think, this is why Mishayik teaches to do dhikr. Dhikr is what makes the person change from having Allah Ta'ala being absent in their lives to having remembrance of Him and they always feel the presence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala watching over them. 
وَلَوَزْنُ يَوْمَ أَذِنَ الْحَقِّ And literally it means and on that day the measurement وَزْن بِمَانَ mizan, And the measurement will be taken on that day الحق In absolute truth Absolute justice Absolute Every single person's deed will be accounted and weighed and assessed By weight here doesn't mean it's a physical weight It means it will be assessed and evaluated and estimated Alright فَمَنْ ثَقُلَتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ And that person whose the balance of their scales is heavy. In other words, they come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heavy in a good way. Weighty, they have come with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doing good deeds. And فُؤْلَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Then indeed such people are going to be the extremely successful, rejoicing, happy uh, ones of facility, who have attained facility, joy, happiness and triumph. فُؤْلَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ They will be triumphant in their joy. وَمَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ And that person whose scales are light, the head low-level taqwa, low-level haya, low-level concentration in their salah, little bit only fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا بِآيَاتِنَا يَدْلِمُونَ That they will be those people. خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ That their own very selves and souls are in complete loss. They will come to nothing. You know like the feeling of failure that a person will get if you got your degree result F, straight Fs. Just, just magnify that infinitely. That will be the feeling of khusran. That is the feeling of absolute and utter loss that that person will feel. And who will it be? That what, what is it that they lose? Their own selves. They just lost completely. They're lost themselves, they're lost to themselves. You could translate this many ways. They have caused loss to themselves, all of the transitions before. Bima kanu, what put them in that state of complete loss? Because yadlimuna bi ayatina, by means of the injustice they did to our signs or our verses of revelation, or our commandments and our rules. They were unjust with them. Alright. وَلَكَدْ مَكَّنَّاكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَجَعَلْنَا لَكُمْ فِيهَا مَعَايِيشِ That indeed we have settled you and populated you on this earth and we have made therein in this earth مَعَايِيشِ you know, means of life and sustenance for you. قَلِيلًا مَا تَشْكُرُونَ Although very, very few of you will be appreciative and thankful and grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَكَدْ خَلَقْنَاكُمْ ثُمَّ سَوَّرْنَاكُمْ That indeed we created you. ثُمَّ then سَوَّرْنَاكُمْ Then we fashioned you. ثُمَّ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمْ And then we told the angels that each and every one of them should make sajda to Sayyidina Adam a.s. فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ Each and every one of the angels made sajda illa iblis except one being who was, in present, who was present there. He didn't make sajda and his name is Iblis. Alright, so I had mentioned to you in the very beginning when we had done Surah Baqarah that we did part of the story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam there. And I told you that the rest was going to come in Surah Al-A'raf. First thing, I did mention this to you earlier there as well, that illa in the Arabic language, exceptional clause, doesn't require that the party being accepted belong to the original part. So I could say all the boys came except Fatima. That's perfectly fine in Arabic. I can say all the girls left except Saad. In other words, the exception is sometimes, sometimes it is from the original group, but sometimes it's to highlight, particularly highlight, that some person was an exception to the verb, to the action. Not an exception from the group, but an exception to the action. 
So what it means here is that each and every one of the angels did sajda. But the exception to that act of sajda was Iblis was shaitan. Shaitan did not do sajda. Alright? And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells elsewhere in Quran al-Kareem, and let's see if we have it here, has mentioned, we'll have to do it when it comes because I have not memorized that ayah for you, has said clearly that Iblis is from the jinn. Alright? So when that comes, I will highlight that too. But Iblis is clearly from the jinn, so he's definitely not from the angels. Alright. So he refuses to do sajda. This I normally, the way I explain this to you, is that Iblis was, وَأَلَّمْ يُكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ And indeed he chose and he was not amongst the people who did sajda. Alright. Does he know Allah Ta'ala exists? Yes. Does he believe that Allah Ta'ala exists? Yes. Does he believe that Allah Ta'ala is almighty? Yes. Does he believe that Allah Ta'ala is all-powerful? Yes. Did he hear the command himself? Yes, he heard the word of Allah, Kalamullah, in his ear. He heard this Kalamullah in his ear, Fastudu. All of that, despite that, he chose to disbelieve. So as we normally explain to you, that even Iblis is not an atheist. He's not an atheist. He completely believes Allah Ta'ala exists. In some sense you can say he looked, figuratively speaking, he looked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right in the eye and disobeyed him. Allahu Akbar kabira. Can you? That's evil. That's pure evil. That's evil incarnate. None of us could dream of doing that. If you heard Allah ta'ala say, Usjudu, you'd pop up for Fajr. <laughs> There's no way even you wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> if you heard it in your ear, Kalamullah. Hmm? If you heard any commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would do it. If you heard it from Allah ta'ala himself, and you were gazing in front of Allah, and you were in the presence and the gathering of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you were in the gathering of angels, right? It's not like uskiku bura mahalta, buri sobati, buri You can't even get off on that. Who is his companion in the gathering? was the angels. In a place of purity, in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he still disbelieved. Allahu Akbar And I tell you, every time I tell you, that every time I reflect on this, I'm still stunned. I can't imagine how evil you'd have to be to disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala point blank. When you know He exists and He commands you and you hear that command and you're in a gathering of angels. So we should think that that is who our enemy is. It's a being who is so evil that they can do something like this. That being the entire sum of the evil and enmity of that being is now directed at you and me. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. said, you have to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa And Allah subhanahu wa alone from such an evil being. Allahu Akbar. So Allah ta'ala asks him, قَالْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا مَنَكَ أَلَّا تَسْجُدَ إِذَا أَمَرْتُكَ Allahu Akbar. Please, what is it that stopped you from doing sajda when I commanded you to do so? So he responds, he shoots back. That's how he's saying, he shoots back. Qala ana khairun minhu. Allah Akbar. Has an idea in his mind, his own way of thinking. No matter what you tell them, they counter it with their own way of thinking. Apani ek soch me arawahin. This is a satanic attribute in people. No matter what you say to them, they have their own thinking. They're unfazed. Hmm? They're unfazed. He's unfazed. Completely unfazed. Ana khairu minhu. I'm better than him. Khalaqtani min narin. That Allah Ta'ala, you made me. So he's acknowledging. <laughs> he's acknowledging Allah Ta'ala as his khalik. Khalaqta. You created me. me. You are my creator. <laughs> so can't you obey your creator? Hmm? 
Is the same thing me and you should think this, this is a satanic attribute that we have? Right? Because nobody in this room, I think, would be an atheist. Everybody believes Allah created them. But we don't obey. We don't obey. We don't obey. Even though we know Allah Ta'ala created. So it's a satanic attribute. So, خَلَقْتَنِي مِن نَارِهُ وَخَلَقْتَهُ مِن تِينَ That you created me from the elements of fire, and you created him from the elements of the earth. Is that some reason? Let's just even pause and think, okay, Shaitan is trying to act, ra- argue rationally. Even on a rational basis, that's no argument. That may be an argument for you to think you're better than him, okay. But that's an argument for you to disobey Allah Taala's command. That's an argument for that. That could be an argument that you think you're better. That's not an argument that justifies your disobeying the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And many times as human beings we're the same way. We come up with arguments that yes, they may make sense to you, but can you realize, have some sense? Does it make so much sense that it warrants disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is it making that much sense to you? That oh, I'm tired. You're making tired. That makes sense to you. Sleep through Fajr. That makes sense. But does it make that much sense to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I don't think it makes that much sense. Right? Oh, I'm, my mom's not letting me get married. Therefore I... Okay, that may make sense to you to excuse some indulgence that you do. Does that make enough sense to offer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an excuse? Right? I don't think so. That's not enough. Doesn't, that doesn't seem to justify disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Allah Akbar. So qala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fahbit minha. Literally means get out. Exit yourself, descend from here. Hubud comes from descend. So it can be understood literally that he was caused to descend. It also means that Allah Ta'ala expelled him from the divine presence, that gathering, which was taking place in the presence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Alright? And anything outside the divine presence is obviously lower in stature. It's not necessarily lower in some physical structure of the universe, but is lower in stature. فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا And it is not befit you, it is not permissible for you. You have no right أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا That you have takabbar in it. In other words, in this realm of the Divine Presence, right? Some may, I don't know if your translator may translate this as heaven, but when I, when I come to these later ayat, and those of you who remember when I did this one year in Lahore in detail. Uh, okay. Actually, he's not in Jannat right now. Okay, Jannat has, may or may not even have been made at this point. Right now, he's in the presence of the Divine. Some gathering of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, some special place where Allah ta'ala gathers the malaika to him. So here, all Iblis is being told that he has to get out of here. He must leave the Divine Presence. Why? Because that is a place and a presence on which the kabbar does not befit a person. And the nukta here then is that when the mu'mineen go into Jannah, not right now, not right now, but when Allah Ta'ala populates Jannah with mu'mineen, then Allah Ta'ala will make Jannah also from the abode and realm of His Divine Presence. And that's why it comes in a date that Sayyidina Rasulullah says a person will get to see Allah SWT. And that's why it comes in a date that Sayyidina Rasulullah that nobody will enter Jannah if they have a drop of takabbar, an atom's weight of takabbar. Because of this, فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا And the Mufassirin and Muhaddisin also mentioned that because 
But specifically, Allah Ta'ala, you won't find a hadith in anything else that you won't enter Jannah if you have an Adam's weight of hasad or any other word, right? The kabr because this was the act that Iblis did in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So this is that emotion, that feeling that has to be absolutely purged from a person. A person's heart has to be absolutely emptied of it before they can ever hope to attain that Jannah which Allah Ta'ala will make in the, as part of the realms of the Divine Presence. Don't misunderstand this thing, by the way, by realms of divine presence. I don't mean any sense of union or incarnation or unity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Complete farq. Allah is Allah and jannati will be jannati. But presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means He will manifest Himself for different jannatis at a different frequency of time in His ru'ya. And Allah knows best what that means. But that is a feature that doesn't exist uh, elsewhere. Alright? Okay. فَخْرُجْ إِنَّكَ مِنَ الصَّاغِرِينَ So here now it's, I'm going to call it a play on words, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the opposite here, the word sigr in terms of kibriyai. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying you should exit from this place. Exit from this place. فَإِنَّكَ مِنَ الصَّاغِرِينَ That indeed you are from the people who are diminutive. Some people also translate this that you are from those who are petty. In other words, you thought you were great, you thought you were great, but indeed you were petty. Others translate Sagarin as you were diminutive, like we said, the diminutive form. Ism Musagar means diminutive, you were lowered, you were lessened, you were nothing, you were minute, you were amongst those who were of minute worth and weight. Qal, again he shot back, Sayyidina Iblis shot back, Anzirni ila yawmi yub'athun. That all Aswanta, give me some respite, give me some reprieve, right? Until when? Ilayomi yubathun until the day in which you will resurrect everyone. The all will be resurrected and turned to. So he knows him. he knows a lot. He knows that Allah is going to gather everyone. He knows that there's going to be a yom. He knows there's a day of judgment. He knows that he has done something that is worthy of being punished right now. Otherwise he didn't make this dua. He knows that it's not just okay, get out and I get to wander around. He knows what this meant. He knows this fahbit and fakhruj meant that what's the next thing that's going to come on me, the second I leave the divine realm, the realm of the divine presence, I'm going, the punishment is going to be inflicted on me. He knew that much also. He knows how Allah Ta'ala operates. Hmm? He knows so much and he still disbelieves. Allah Akbar. Ajeeb. Right? Call. So Allah Subhanahu responded, Innaka minal mundani. No problem. You are amongst, indeed, you are now henceforth amongst those people who have been given a reprieve. It means that, okay, my punishment won't affect, uh, overcome you until that day. Yawma yub athum. Until that day of judgment. Allah Ta'ala gave him. Allah Ta'ala gave him what he wanted. Call. Okay. Now, here, even here the conversation could have ended. Right? But here, what does Iblis say? Now, I showed you earlier once what he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about us, if you remember, that I will have my naseeb from your ibad, right? Now watch what he said. Call Fabima Agwaitani. Now what does he say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because you have cast me out. That's what it means. Right? They may tell you, you have sent me astray, you have entrapped me, you have ensnared me, you have cast me out. So here he's accusing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not accepting that it was his own fault, his own refusal to do sajda that got him cast out. He's making it sound like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cast him out. So, فَبِمَا أَغْوَيْتَنِي By means of what you, because you cast me out. Now what is he going to do? Lam here is for qasam. 
Lam is for it's for kasam and for taqid and nuna taqid sakila. What does that mean? That I will mm, ambush them. I will waylay them and wait and sit in ambush. I will surely, certainly, undoubtedly waylay them, sit in ambush upon them, the home, siratakal mustaqim, so to keep them from following your straight path. So even he is saying siratakal mustaqim is use, sirataka, your straight path. He knows it. Allahu Akbar. So I'm going to stand there and waylay, sit in ambush, and make sure they don't come onto your straight path. Thumma. Then, what does he say? لَآتِيَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ وَأَنْ أَيْمَانِهِمْ وَأَنْ شَمَائِلِهِمْ Then he says that I will come upon them, means I will waylay them from before and from, from the fore and from the rear and from their right and from their left. وَلَا تَجِدُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ شَاكِرِينَ And then he says to Usman, you, he addresses وَلَا تَأْتَاز you Allah and you, Allah, you will discover and you will find that aktharahum, you will not find the majority of them to be grateful. And I'm going to succeed on the majority of them. Allah Akbar. You will not find the majority of them to be grateful and appreciative and true to you. All akhruj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then responds to him again. Akhruj, get out. Minha, get out of here. Mad'ooman madhura. Get out despised and rejected. Repudiated and reviled. Laman tabi'aka minkum. And then whomsoever, if any of them, if any of them, laman indeed, man whomsoever, of them tabi'aka minhum, from them tabi'aka follows you, la anna jahannama minkum ajma'een, I will fill up jahannam to the brim with them on all of their entirety means you have to see that because Allah Ta'ala has so much enmity for shaitan, any human being who gives up Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and instead chooses shaitan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely upset with such a human being. Laman tabi'aka minhum That whomsoever from them chooses to follow you, la anna jahannama minkum That surely I will fill up jahannam with them ajma'een entirely. Allah Akbar. وَيَا آدَمَ سْكُنْ Now, this, all this conversation happens in front of Sayyidina Adam a.s. Right? Then Allah Ta'ala turns to Sayyidina Adam a.s. وَيَا آدَمَ سْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجَكَ الْجَنَّةَ That, O oh, Adam a.s., you and your spouse should go now live in Jannah. So Jannah was yet another place now. Iblis is also told to leave the realm of the Divine Presence. And Adam, he was expelled and kicked out. Now Sayyidina Adam Islam and his spouse Amahavra are also being placed somewhere else at this moment and they're being put into Jannah. Fukula min shi'tuma and you should eat from therein whatever you want. However, shajara, but the two of you should not go near this particular tree X. Fatakuna min and were you to do so, then you would become amongst those who have done wrong. Alright. So Shaitan whispered into the two of them. So important thing to understand. The Christian doctrine is that Shaitan somehow snuck back into heaven. So Quran's making clear, no, there's no way once Allah Ta'ala has kicked him out of a place he can't come back. But he was kicked out from the realm of the divine presence. There's nothing here in Quran that doesn't have access to Jannah. 
So there's the realm, I mean, I don't in any way to suggest it is figurative, but just by analogy I'm using these gestures to show you there's the realm of the divine presence. Shaitan is kicked out from that. Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam and Amma Harun are told that they're placed by Allah Ta'ala out of that into a place called Jannah. So Shaitan has been given muhla, he's reprieve. He can access Jannah. He's not coming into Jannah and disguised as a snake. There's no concept like that in Islam. He's not sneaking in. How, if Allah Ta'ala seals the borders of something, Iblis cannot sneak into it. Right? So there's nothing at all preventing Iblis from going there. Right? So Iblis goes to the two of them. Now here the Mufasreen mentioned that there are many, many, many centuries may have passed. Many even millennia may have passed between that initial creation of Sayyidina Adam and the angels prostrating to him and Iblis refusing. And then this act in which Iblis is going to do and waswasa. Okay, waswasa I didn't say it for me. It means to insinuate. To insinuate or to plant a thought and whisper a thought into the heart of a person. And so this is the mm, ability that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Iblis. So what did he do? لَيُبْدِيَ لَهُمَا مَا وُرِيَا أَنْهُمَا مِنْ سَوَآتِهِمَا وَقَالَ مَا نَهَاكُمَا رَبُّكُمَا عَنْ هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَكُونَا مَلَكَيْنِ أَوْ تَكُونَا مِنَ الْخَالِدِينَ Okay, let me do the second part first. First is a statement he says to them. Okay, then I'm going to come back and do the first part of the ayah. So the first one, وَقَالَ So Iblis said to them, number one, that that which your, the two of yours, Rab, your Rab has prohibited the two of you from, concerning this tree, your Rab has not prohibited you from this tree for any other reason except that either the two of you could become angels or that the two of you would live in Jannah forever. Okay? So what is he suggesting to them? He's suggesting that if you eat from this tree, and it can be not be either, it can mean the same thing. It can mean that you but you will become an angel and by means of the angel you will live as an immortal in Jannah. Or it can mean the two possibilities may happen if you eat from this tree. Either you will become an angel or you will live in Jannah forever. Then what did he do? I'm going to come back to the first part. And then what did he do? وَقَاسَمَهُمَا Then he took a qasam, he took an oath, he swore to them. And what did he say? إِنِّي لَكُمَا لَمِنَ النَّاسِهِينَ That no, I'm your well-wisher, I'm your advisor. I'm giving you good advice and counsel. And this is also sometimes, not everyone who says this is saying this in a satanic way, but there are some satanic people who say this in the same way. Some people will say this to you when they want to mislead you. No, I'm saying this for your own good, beta. Right? So they'll tell you that, right? So this is what he's saying. Now what happens? So it continues. Fadallahuma. Dallahuma means that Iblis he led them astray bighurur by means of this deception, by means of his sweet talk, by means of pretending that he was their well wisher and he was their advisor. Falamma zaka shajara. So when the two of them tasted the fruit of the tree, badat lahuma so atuhuma. Then their, mm, you can say, then their private parts became apparent to them. Then their private parts appeared to them. So 
So then what did they do immediately? Then they began to take leaves, Warak, they took leaves from maybe that same tree or some other trees, they took leaves from Jannah and they began to cover them. Alright. Now what does this mean? This is okay, but now وَنَادَاهُمَا رَبُّهُمَا أَلَمْ أَنْهَكُمَا أَنْ تِلْكُمَا الشَّجَرَةِ وَأَكُلْ لَكُمَا إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمَا أَدُوبٌ مُبِينٌ So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then turns to them and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them, uh, calls out to them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them that did I not prohibit you from this very tree? And did I not tell the two of you that Iblis and Shaitan is indeed an open and manifest enemy to you? I just have to come back to the very first part, don't worry. Qala, so the two of them, Sayyidina uh, Adam alayhi salam and Sayyidina Habaranta said, Rabbana zalamna anfusana, that our Rabb indeed we have only wronged our own selves. Wa illam takfir lana, and if you Allah Ta'ala do not forgive us, wa tarhamna, and you do not send your mercy on us, lanakunanna min al khasirin, then surely and certainly then we will become amongst the losers. Qal Allah SWT said in response to this, Qalah bitu ba'dukum li ba'din odu, that all of you should get down from here now. Now second descent, get down from Jannat and go to earth, and some of you will be enemies to some of the other. Means shaitan, his progeny, he will have progeny also. The shayateen, and he will have minions and assistants, and they will be enemy towards the true progeny of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, the ones who try to be established on righteousness. فَلَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ And indeed you will have for you in this earth, you can say planet earth, مُسْتَقَرُّ وَمَتَاعٌ إِلَهِينَ مُسْتَقَرْ It will be your tikana, it will be a place where you will stay and you will reside. And مَتَاعٌ إِلَهِينَ And it will sustain you, you will have provisions in it until an appointed period which is the end of time. Alright. قَالْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then said last to them, فِيهَا تَحْيَوْنَ In that earth you will live. وَفِيهَا تُمُوتُونَ And in that earth you will die. وَمِنْهَا تُخْرَجُونَ And from that earth you will be once again extracted and brought forth and resurrected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So what happened over here? That when when they ate from the tree, let's go back over here to this part. فَلَمَّا ذَاكَ الشَّجَرَةَ When the two of them ate from the fruit of that tree. بَدَتْ لَهُمَا سَوْ that their private parts became apparent to them. Now what does this mean? Number one what this means is that obviously they had this part of them before. But they didn't have any feeling, they didn't notice this about themselves. Right? This is, this is possible, this is a possible, that a person can, a man and a woman could be together naked and not even notice this part about themselves because Allah SWT mentions on the Day of Judgment the same thing will happen. And when people are risen on the Day of Judgment, initially they will be risen naked and they won't be doing Banazri because they're going to be so lost in a different thought which is the calamity and the torment and the enormity of that day. In this instant, the complete opposite was that Sayyidina Adam salam and Sayyidina Hawarudana were physically different as man and woman. But they never noticed that about one another because they were living a life in Jannah and they were just living, enjoying in Jannah. So when they ate from that tree, the punishment Allah SWT gave them, punishment or test or trial or the change that Allah Taala made before them is that now they became aware of their particular features. And when they became aware of it, now they felt haya, right? 
So they felt hayan, then they all of a sudden they started grabbing leaves from the trees of Jannah to cover themselves up. Right? Okay. It does not mean, some people have suggested, some Christian commentators on the Bible, and unfortunately some people like Mr. Hamdi has also followed them, he suggested that actually this is all a metaphor, and actually what happened was there's no tree, and there's no fruit, and actually Allah SWT told the two of them that they shouldn't engage in any in intimate relations, and they did so anyway. And when they engaged in intimate relations, then they were embarrassed about themselves. No, there's nothing in Quran to suggest that at all. There's no reason to leave the literal meaning of the Quran. <coughs> there, <coughs> those few cases in Quran where the literal meaning is understood to be the meaning is understood not to be literal but rather metaphorical, there's always a clear, convincing reason and proof for that. Right? So actually they physically ate from a tree, and the reason they ate from the tree, because also what you know, what Ramdi is trying to suggest is that, and is following a very Christian reading of the Bible, is that human beings have this lust, and he believes in the doctrine of the fallen man, and they give in to their lust, and that's why they lost Jannah. That's not at all the Islamic concept. The Islamic concept is not at all that Sayyidina Adam Islam gave in to lust, and therefore then he fell out from Jannah. The Islamic concept is, what did Shaitan say? He said, eat from that tree, because if you do, you will either become angels, or you will live, you will live in Jannah forever. So it was their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a pure love, not a human lust for one another. It was a pure love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if we eat from this tree, we will get to stay here forever. We will get to be in Jannah forever. We will be near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forever. So it was that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they had, that's why they ate from that tree. So it was an act that they did out of what we call ghalabatul hal. They were overpowered by this intoxicating feeling of the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why they ate from that tree. And when they did that, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did was He took away from them. He took away from them what precisely this, that they were so intoxicated with the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they never yet even realized they had no space in themselves for any other love. They had no space in them for any other love. But because they did what Allah SWT told them not to do, then He took that attribute away from them. What attribute? That they were beings who were only and only in love with Allah SWT and oblivious to any other type of love and attraction. He took that away from them and, and, and exposed for them an awareness of this other type of attraction, which is also natural. And Allah has already mentioned that she is His zoj, that she is His spouse. But they weren't husband and wife in that sense. They were just spouse, mate, pair, right? So Allah SWT took that, uh, Allah SWT then sent upon them now this feeling of another love and attraction. So the second they felt that, then they felt they each felt embarrassed and they tried to cover themselves up with leaves. This is the Islamic understanding of uh, this incident of Sayyidina Adam and then when Allah SWT told them that okay, both of you should go down and you should be en- you will be enemies towards one another and then they made this dua. To hear, when they went down, obviously this is not the doctrine of the fallen man because Allah SWT, when he, the very first time He created Adam Islam, He said, Inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. He told the angels that this creation's destination is earth. The purpose of this creation is that He's going to live on earth and try to be the embodiment of my will and wish and my command and my pleasures. So it's not as if what the Christians suggest, and what he has also been deluded into accepting from them, that they're meant to live forever in Jannah, but they made the sin and therefore they fell down. 
So Christianity has this doctrine of original sin. Islam says no human beings have a doctrine of original purity. And human beings are born, every human being is born in a state of original purity. Alright? It's a radically different concept of humanity and a radically different understanding about this original story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. Alright. Then the next thing to highlight here is that the response, so when Iblis disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa what did he do? And when Adam alayhi also did something that Allah ta'ala told him not to do, what did he do? Slight difference here. First difference is that Iblis, Iblis, refu- how can I put this in English? Iblis refused a command and Sayyidina Adam alayhi violated a prohibition. Iblis refused a command and Sayyidina Adam alayhi violated a prohibition. So first lesson we learn is it's more intensely bad to refuse a command. And especially given that that command was sajda, that's why all of us, we should take our salah much, much more seriously than we do. And this month, alhamdulillah, the month of Ramadan, when we're fasting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we're staying away from food and drink for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the best month for us to practice ourselves, making ourselves namazi. Making ourselves five times a day, every day for 30 days. And if we do that with that intention that we want to be five times a day for 365 days a year, for every year, for the rest of our life. Because this is such an intense thing. Okay? To violate a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas what Sayyidina, Adam alayhi did, but no, what was the English say? He refused the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what Sayyidina also, he violated a prohibition. Now, second thing, is that what, it should be the reaction. So the difference is that Iblis, what was his reaction? Number one, he didn't accept and acknowledge that he did anything wrong. Where Sayyidina Asa immediately, immediately acknowledges. What is it here? I, I did wrong. I'm, it's us. We did the wrong. So that's the difference. So this is something we need to see. When we do a sin, what do we do? Do we feel that we haven't done anything wrong? If we feel like that, that's a satanic feeling. The nisbat of that goes back to Iblis. Or when we do a sin, do we immediately feel that I've done something wrong? I'm a wrongdoer. Do we accept and acknowledge? That's the first step. In Arabic, this is called ikrar. Ikrar bil zanub. To accept and acknowledge one's mistakes and shortcomings and sins and disobedience of Allah subhanahu If that is indeed what we did. If that is indeed what we did, you don't have to be saying in English to call a spade a spade. Right? To acknowledge that. Second thing, what did shaitan do? Not only did he not acknowledge, he justified himself. Ana khairun minhu. I'm better than him. Right? He justified himself. Here, Sayyidina Allah could have said, Oh, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I just eat of that because I wanted to stay in Jannah forever. Oh, that guy, you know, he told me that I'd become an angel. He could have. There were potential justifications that could have been offered here. Does Sayyidina Allah do that? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. So he's teaching us, he's the first Nabi also. And when Allah ta'ala mentions the statements of other Anbiya in Quran, it means it's a teaching for us also. That when you sin, no matter what the justification, I mean, if you think about it, again, Sayyidina Anas has a very good excuse. A very good excuse. I loved you, I wanted to be in Jannah forever, I wanted to be near for you forever, I wanted to be an angel. He took a qasam, he even swore, right? But no. So the sunnah of Sayyidina Anas is even if you have a good excuse, you don't let yourself off the hook. You don't view anything as a good excuse, as justification or rationalization. Nothing could justify or warrant disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how we should behave.
Third thing, what did Iblis do? He became hostile. He became angry. He swore enmity. Right? What does Sayyidina Adam Islam do? He immediately makes dua. He realizes I'm nothing. He humbles himself. Not arrogant, not hostile, not angry. Penitent, remorseful, repentant, humble. So this is the way that a person should respond and this is the way that a person should react. Alright, whenever we do sin. And this dua particularly, and this is a dua that probably almost all of you know because it's one of the most oft recited du'as in Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? And there's something, a du'a that we should make, and that's another thing that those of you who are taking notes should highlight, the du'as of the Anbiya that are in Qur'an. And you should try to use them in this month of Ramadan at least. Right? And you will find almost all of those du'as start with Rabb, Rabbana, Rabbana, Rabbana. Alright. Mm. I'm going to do just a few more ayahs very quickly. Few more ayat and then we'll end. Ya Bani Adam, Kad anzalna alaykum libasan yuwari sawatikum marisha. That, O children of Adam, O Bani Adam, O humanity, that indeed Allah SWT has sent down upon you and has, uh, has sent down upon you clothing by means of which you should enclose or cover your private parts. Alright. And warisha and clothing has been sent to you as an adornment as an adornment, as a means of beautification. وَلِبَاسُ taqwa. However, the garment of taqwa, now it doesn't mean the physical apparel of taqwa, what it means is the attribute of taqwa. In cloaking yourself in this feeling, in living a life of taqwa, وَلِبَاسُ taqwa. ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ That is the best libas. So by Linking taqwa with libas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying is that conscientiousness and God-consciousness and God-fearingness and piety and righteousness are things that should be with us all the time. Just like you never want to be without libas, you never want to be without taqwa. Just like libas is the closest thing to you, taqwa should be the most prominent attribute in you. Right? Just like by means of our libas, we get some level of honor. Right? We're more dignified clothed and less dignified unclothed. More taqwa, more dignified, less taqwa, less dignified. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Inna akramakum in the lahi That the ones of you who are the most honored and most dignified in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu are the ones who have the most taqwa. So khair. That is really the best thing. So what does it mean? That it doesn't really matter how rich or fancy your clothing may be. What matters is how rich your taqwa is. How rich and deep and how high quality taqwa do you have? ذَلَكَ مِنْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ And all of this is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَأَلَّهُمْ يَذَكَّرُونَ So that they may take an admonishment and learn a lesson from this. يَا بَنِي آدَمَ O children of Adam alayhi salam لَا يَفْتِنَنَّكُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ Don't let shaitan entrap you and ensnare you and lead you astray. كَمَا أَخْرَجَ أَبَوَيْكُمْ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ Just the way that he was the source and the means that he took out your two parents from Jannah. يَنزِئُ عَنْهُمَا لِبَاسُهُمَا And he mm, stripped, he was the source of causing to fall or stripping away from them لِبَاسُهُمَا Their garments لِيُرِيَهُمَا سُوَاتِهِمَا And then they, were, then they became aware and they saw one another's private parts إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ Now it says that shaitan is able to see you. This is the feature of shaitan. 
He is able to see you. Hua him wa kabiluhu, and he has a kabil, has a whole group with him. His Satan and Satan kind can see you. Men heithu la tarhonuhum from such a place from where you do not see them. So if you wanted to be sort of sci-fi about it, it means that Iblis and the other shayateen are looking at us from another plane of existence or another dimension. There may be parallel dimension to this or coexistent with this one, such that it's a one-way window that they can see us, but we cannot see them. He can perceive us, him and his minions and his kabil can perceive us, but we can neither perceive him nor them. Right? إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا الشَّيَاتِينَ أَوْلِيَاءَ لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Not even just kafirun, just anybody doesn't have iman. Well, this outright polytheism, outright atheism, or whatever it is, absence of iman. So Allah says, indeed, we have appointed and we have made the shayateen. Shaitan and all of his minions as awliya for those who don't have iman. For those who have iman, Allah is their wali. Allah Those who don't have iman, shaitan and the shayateen are their awliya. وَإِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاهِشَةً قَالُوا وَجَدْنَا عَلَيْهَا آبَاءَنَا وَاللَّهُ أَمَنَنَا بِهَا قُلْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَشَاءَ أَتَكُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ So Allah is saying, when they commit indecency, they say that we found our forefathers doing this indecency, and Allah had commanded us to do it. Say Allah does not command any type of indecency. Do you say about Allah what you do not know? Alright. I'm going to pause over here and just make one more comment because this issue of the garment is quite tricky. Alright? So when they ate from the tree, again, the punishment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them was that their private parts were revealed. Here actually, this was the part when the, some Muslim commentators have followed the Christians because it says here that shaitan caused their clothing to drop. It's not that shaitan, the trick shaitan did with them wasn't causing their clothing to drop. The trick shaitan did with them is to make them eat from the fruit of the tree. After the fruit of, they ate from the fruit of the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused their clothing to drop. Right? But here shaitan is mentioned as a sabab. It's not the direct sabab. Him making the waswasa and the qasam and the false advice which made them eat from the tree was what caused Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make their clothing drop and to make them aware of this new feeling which they had never felt before over their different uh, gender differences and this type of other type of love and this other type of relationship. Alright, we've gone a bit over today. But inshallah we'll continue tomorrow from over here Surah Al-Araf, Surah number 7 and verse number... 28 Subhanallahumma Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask that you preserve our iman. We ask that you to follow each and every one of the commandments you have outlined in Qur'an. 
Ya Bikrim, we want that you and you alone should be our wali. Ya Allah, we repudiate and we flee from all of the other false awliya that we have taken. We don't want to have shaitan as a friend. We don't want to have people who disbelieve in you as our protecting patron, benefactor, friends. Ya Bikrim, we ask that you to join us with the mu'mineen. Join us to the sirat al-mustaqeen. Ya Bikrim, shaitan is our open enemy. He is waylaying us from all sides. Ya Allah, we seek refuge in you from him. We ask that you guide us unto your Sirat al-Mustaqeem. We ask that you shower your grace and fuzzl and karam upon us. Ya Allah, we ask that you put our iman in your hifazah. We are living in a day and age of fitna and fasad, a day and age of fisk and fasha, a day and age of confusions and delusions about the deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept our iman, that you put our iman in your custody and your protection and that you nurture our iman, that you safeguard our iman and that you safeguard and nurture the iman of all of the youth of this ummah, and that you safeguard and nurture the iman of all of our progeny and descendants until Yom and Deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you protect us from all indecency, protect us from all immodesty, protect us from all unchastity. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make tawbah for all of the sins that we have ever done, and we come to you in this month of Ramadan, that Ya Allah, we too want to become people of Haya, we too want to become people of Taqwa, we too want to to become people of Tahara. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we would do anything to get these three attributes. Ya Allah, please make us people of Taqwa, make us people of Haya, make us people of Tahara. Ya Rabbi Kareem, get us purity of thought, purity of heart, purity of speech, purity of action. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you fill our hearts with love for you and love for all of those loves that are permissible to you. And Ya Allah, we ask that you purge our heart from all of the unlawful loves that we have, all of the unlawful yearnings that we have, all of the unlawful idealizations that we have, all of the unlawful lusts that we have, all of the unlawful memories that we have. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we wish to open up our heart only and only for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept our accept our dua in the state of fasting in this month of Ramadan Ya Rabbi Kareem for hours now we have gone without food and drink only and only for your sake Ya Rabbi Kareem make us people who can go without sin only and only for your sake who can go without transgression only and only for your sake who can forsake all the unlawful pleasures only and only for your sake and Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem just like the happiness that you bestow upon us when we successfully complete one fast and we make iftar in your name and with your remembrance. Ya Allah, make this whole life of this world one fast and let us have iftar on the day of judgment by gazing upon you in such a state that you are smiling upon us and that we are smiling upon you. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi Ha bihi ajmain bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin